Well, good morning. I want to thank you for having me, uh, John, for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. Um, actually, was here many years ago. Um, my precious friends, John, Helena, Nathan, and Rachel, lovely memories of our time spent in, in our youths. Seems like a long, long time ago. So thanks for having me. Eventually, I'll get this clipped onto my belt, and we can start. Let's pray. Lord, we've heard some things that are distressing to us, Lord, and Lord, we come before you, Lord, this day to ask that you would meet with us, Lord, in your word. Lord, help me to be brief, Lord, help me to be uh, saying the the main points of what you desire to speak to us, Lord, that we might, uh, even in a briefer time, Lord, just hear from you, that you would touch our spirits, that you would move in our hearts, Lord, that you would minister to us. By the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this message this morning comes in of a backdrop of our culture with its identity wars and conflicts that arise when we attach ourselves to particular identities. And you see that happening in the world. We have things like feminism, the LGBT movements, other things that we identify with, that people want to rally around and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, and so forth. And so often conflict arises when we identify in a particular way. But as believers, we too can have this problem of not identifying in the things that we should be identified with, but rather we rally to particular ideas about ourselves, we comfort ourselves maybe with what we believe about ourselves, and we don't allow the identity that we have in Christ to be seen, to be fruitful, to stand in the good of what the Lord Jesus Christ and what God our Father and the Holy Spirit says about us and who we are in him. The conflicts, uh, and it seems terrible that the church has seen fit at large to attach itself to identity politics. Uh, it's particularly frustrating that the church at large would go down that road because for the believer, we have an identity that is far greater than our race, than our sexual orientation, than our nationhood, than gender, even our family. Even as believers, we can think about ourselves in a particular ways. And they can be damaging and unhelpful in our walk. We can carry baggage and mindsets that can cause us many problems. It can cause us to have problems in the body. Something of what we've heard today. The conflicts that exist. The contentions that can arise. If we are rooted in who we are in Christ, it should save us more. It won't save us completely. None of us are perfect, but it should save us more as we remember who we are and what we've come out of. So with all problems and confusion and conflict that there may arise, the answer is in understanding the truth of God's holy word. So we're going to be looking at lots of scriptures today, and for the sake of time, I'm probably just going to 
quote them and hope that you can get to them quickly and listen while I read them, and that way we won't finish by 2 o'clock. Um, and if you've got dinner in the oven, I'm sorry. But I'll try in that way to speed it up. Normally I'd wait for you to find the passage. Uh, firstly, we need to consider where we have come from. The state we were in before coming to Christ. And then we're going to consider seven S's of our identity in Christ. But it's important, the fall changed everything. When the fall happened, we were made in the image, before the fall happened, we were made in the image of God. We were perfect. We did not have problems with confusion about our identity. We knew who we were. Adam and Eve knew who they were. They knew they had been created male and female. They knew they had been created for each other in a communion with one another. There was no conflict between male and female. There was no need for feminism. There was no mistreatment of women by the male. There is a, a perfect sense. But then the fall happened, and everything changed. And what we see in our culture and in our society today is a result of the fall. It is because of the fall that our confusion has arisen. And so it's just worth considering our state before we came to God. Just remind ourselves of where we were before we came to God. For the sake of time, I'm just going to list them rather than turn into them all. Uh, just from a few places. In Ephesians uh, 2, we're told that we were children of wrath. People often say we're all God's children. Not so. We are only children because we have been adopted and cried out, Abba, Father. Instead, outside of Christ, we are children of wrath. And the wrath of God abides on us, John 3, 36 says. Hell is a reality. We were described as dead, alienated from God, enemies of God, sinners, lost, without hope in this world. This was our identity outside of Christ. Not just our identity, but our reality. Sadly, uh, when we're most in that state, don't actually realize that's the case. Did you know that most people in the UK believe that they are going to heaven when they die? Even though they don't believe. Like many false and wrong ideas people take, I guess the worst for their eternal future is a good person identity. I like to think, I'm a, well, I'm a good person. Oh, so-and-so is such a good person. They'll obviously go to heaven. We like to tell us things that make us feel good. That's why we rally to identity groups. That's why we rally to uh, even factions sometimes. We can tell ourselves things to make us feel good no matter how untrue they are. Perversely, it's often the accusation thrown at Christians by atheists that we believe in God to make us feel good about ourselves and to make us feel better about what might happen when we die. Yet the reality is they live in a fantasy of their own making, hiding themselves from the evidence of God all around them. But this is what we have been saved from. Available to us all who turn to him. So let's consider our identity in Christ. And I've come up with uh, seven S's except one's a C, and I've cheated. 
Firstly, we are sinners saved by grace. Ephesians 2, which we've just looked at and considered. Look at uh, one verse, gives us a wonderful contrast. I don't think you're going to hear any new revelations this morning, but so often we forget or we fail to apply the truths we know to the circumstances and the world in which we live. So hopefully as we read the things that we already know or should already know, it might help us to apply that knowledge to what, we've been, what we're considering in this issue of identity conflicts and our own wrong identities that we take on. So it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the power, the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of, the, of disobedience. Among them we all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of rest, wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's another S right there. We could have seated with him in heavenly places, an amazing truth. But here it is, the transformation. All that we consider of the wonder of our new identity in Christ. What makes it all the more amazing is when we consider where the Father took us from. Out of the gutter, out of death, from wrath. We are not miserable sinners as the old version of the common book of prayer put in but we are sinners saved by grace we are joyful sinners because we have been free from the penalty and the power of sin we still sin this side of eternity there's lots of nonsense talked about not being sin conscious we need to regularly come for cleansing but the wonderful truth is in spite of our ability to live perfectly even with God's help, we are saved by grace. Not our ability to live up to his standards. Obviously, this isn't an excuse for sin. We'll consider that later on in another one of our S's. But we are sinners saved by his amazing grace. Each one of us, grace upon grace. Second S of our identity is we are sons by adoption. Sons by adoption. Obviously, we're going to Romans 8, but we'll start from verse 12 because there are some important words there before we get there. Do you mind if I lose my jacket? I'm warm. Thank you. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. Stop there. Fellow heirs. 
with Christ. Consider that. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. In verses 12 and 13, we see there is a different power and a different way of living being talked about. We are still sinners, but there is now all-out war against the flesh. Unfortunately, sometimes we have a friendly agreement with our flesh. We let the flesh have some place still and have some reign in our lives still. And we can feed it. We can encourage it. As the song puts it, maybe we hope our flesh life might just melt away. Hands up if there's anyone who's had the experience where their flesh life has melted away. Good. That's not our experience. That's not what the Word of God says. This is a battle. And that's why we need to understand it in the context of what's going on in the world around us. Even if you know the Lord, you can struggle with sexual sin. You can struggle with who you think you are. You can struggle with what you're understanding. There's a battle. Now, that might not be your battle, but it might be someone else's battle. Don't mistake their battle from being really evil and think your battle where you can't tell the truth or, or you misrepresent people or you have a, such a harsh character with someone is any better than their struggle. There is a battle on. And you will face different battles to what I will face. I will face different battles to what you will face. But it has to be a battle. We cannot have a friendly agreement with the things that we are battling with. We have to put it to death. Take it to the cross. When people abuse you, when they mistreat you, when things don't go the way you want them to, so easy to feed the flesh. When there's conflict, when there's strife, so easy to feed to the flesh that says, I'm going to put this right straight away. Yeah. Felt some of this in recent days. These are wrong identities. And those wrong identities, they feed the flesh. They give us permission to live comfortably with our sin. If we are led by the Spirit, if we are led by the Spirit, something we'll come back to later, then we are sons of God and not a spirit of slavery. Most religions in the world, that is what you're under, a spirit of slavery. Religiously trying to do your best, to try and work, try and strive to be good. And so often in the Christian life, we fall for the same religion. It's not that we battle in ourselves. Because you can't beat your flesh on yourself. Try it. How many of you tried it before coming to the Lord, but you were trying to do well, and you struggled and you strived, and you kept falling flat on your face because you can't do it? Only the power of the Spirit of God can lift us. And when we're children, we know what our Father delights in. 
Nathan knows, my oldest, he knows what makes me happy. He knows I love to have a hug. He knows I love to hear him worship and pray. He knows the things I like. He doesn't always do them. Don't get a wrong idea about him. Particularly at two and a half, he really doesn't always do them. But he naturally knows what I like because he's my child. We are sons. Sons because of the idea of inheritance. Of course, people think that's an unfair system. I'm the youngest. I agree. It's an unfair system. But of course, we misunderstand what the system was. The oldest then had responsibility for all the other siblings, all the other families, particularly his sisters, until they were married. But consider this. What was Adam? Read the genealogies. What was Adam? Who was Adam? Adam was the son of God. It's there in the genealogies. Son of Adam, son of God. Created, not begotten like Jesus was. God has put us back to the position before we had in the fall in terms of our relationship but he has done it by adoption. There is no more beautiful picture than adoption. You were adopted by God. He chose you to be his child, to pour out all his blessings on you. Uh, skip back to Ephesians 1, uh, verses 4 and 6. Just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory and of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. These words, just wow. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, before the world was made. He knew all about you. Friends, nothing you will ever do will take God by surprise. That thing that you did, that you're thinking of right now, God knew you were going to do it, and he still chose you, and he still adopted you, and he still wants you to be his child. So often we think of God like a hard taskmaster, like we can never achieve his standards. Friends, you can't achieve his standards. That's why he's given you his grace and his mercy and the power by his Holy Spirit to overcome. But you will never take God by surprise when you sin. He knows all about you from the foundation of the world. We're not to carry on. He loved you enough to save you so that you would not carry on living in the mess of your sin. Universalism is nonsense. God loves us way too much to be satisfied with leaving us the way we are. We are living in salvation now. In love, he protested us. This is not inshallah. This is as the Muslims have it. This is not karma. This is a love of a divine and all-powerful God, and you don't find it in any other religion. In love, he planned for your salvation, your adoption. You know, people adopt for all sorts of reasons. And children aren't adopted for all sorts of reasons. God adopted you. According to the kind intention of his will. 
to the praise of glory. You are a child of the Most High God, the creator of the universe, who knows the end from the beginning. Shouldn't we start living like it? Because that is our identity in Christ. Next S is our identity in Christ is citizenship, which you may have noticed doesn't begin with S. Let's go to uh, Philippians 3, uh, verse 18. Philippians 3, verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also the Lord we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body of humble estate humble state, into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of his power that he has even subjected all things to himself. Praise God if you're not feeling very well in your body today. You're not staying in it. But again, the contrast with uh, how often we want to set our mind on the things of the earth. Now, Paul isn't saying that we shouldn't concern ourselves with the world around us, the nation, the things we live in, but no, rather, a mindset, a set our minds to build not on this life only. All the parables that challenge us about storing up treasure and being concerned about treasure in this life, possessions, but so often even our position, what people think about us, our reputation in this world, these are earthly things. It doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter what people think about you. Friends, it really doesn't matter what people think about you. We really haven't got it. Because I know I haven't got it. I really care what people think about me. I really care when they give me a hard time, when they slander me or they say things that are true about me. It's even worse when they say things that are true about me. We care about our position. We care about our reputation. But if we live our lives worried about our reputation, if we live our lives worried about what people think of us or how we've been treated, how we've been mistreated, we will never dwell in the wonder that we are citizens of heaven. More literally, our citizenship is heaven. Being a British citizen offers you both privileges and responsibilities. Do not understand this wrongly. Our citizenship is not we will be heaven. It is now. You belong to the kingdom of heaven now, even though you don't literally reside in heaven. You live in the embassy of heaven. You know, our countries have embassies and they're considered part of that country even though they're in another land so the US Embassy in London is considered part of the US soil friends you are heaven the kingdom of heaven is within you that's what why Paul is saying you are seated with Christ in heavenly places you are the embassy of heaven we are ambassadors of Christ your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit we'll see that more Later on, Ephesians 2, verse 18. 
For although we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone with whom the whole building is being fitted together into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is who you are. This is our identity. A little bit of heaven walking the earth, or at least we should be. And when we gather together, it should be like heaven. Praise God for our time of worship this morning. That should be our experience. This is not kingdom now. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is only within his people. Those who are truly his. It is not the church globally. It is only his church. And his church, Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the church that is not his does not. And the gates of hell regularly prevail against it. It's because we are part of the kingdom that we care about the state of the nation. It's always with this view, though, that this world is passing away. We are on an ambassadorial mission from heaven, seeking to bring people to the kingdom of God, seeking to pray for the welfare of the city we are in, for that common grace to be experienced. In our mission, we use all tools at our disposal, including prayer, but always remembering we are leaving this world. Philippians, uh, as Philippians says, eagerly waiting for our Lord to come and take us home, to our home country, the country of our new birth, to whom we belong, where our identity is found, not in England's green and pleasant land, but in the new Jerusalem. That's our identity. Some of you may have been born in other lands. Heaven is all of our homes, wherever we were born. The fourth S in our identity in Christ is stewards. We are stewards in a number of ways. God has entrusted various things with which we are to be good stewards. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as the one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus, to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God has entrusted us love. He's given us the ability to love others. Sometimes we need to receive that all the more. Some people are more easy to love than others. 
He has given us resources, our homes, and the things we can share with others. What God has given us, we are to steward well. It's not that we can't have things for ourselves. God isn't saying you can't have anything. But we are to share. We are to be, we are blessed and we are to be a blessing to others. This is not give that you might receive back a hundredfold. It's rather give because you've received. Share because it's a blessing both to others and it's a great joy when you share something with others. But it's not just about money. Be generous with your love, with your hospitality, with your care, with your prayers, with your time. One criticism of the American church is, boy, they are generous with their money, but not so generous with their time and other things. Are we also, are we good stewards of something much more valuable than all these things? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul's describing the difficult time he's been having with regards to the Corinthian church. And he says, Let man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. We have been, found, we have been entrusted to steward the mysteries of God, the gospel, what are we doing with it? Are we being good stewards of these things? We must press on, but God has made us stewards. Our fifth, our identity, our fifth identity in Christ is we are sanctified saints. Sanctified saints. We considered we are sinners saved by grace, but we are also sanctified. This is an important balance. Not taught in what I would call hyper-grace settings. Let's read a long passage. Uh, always a problem when you quote from Romans because you, you need to read the whole book um, to get the sense. So, But we'll start chapter 6, uh, verse 12. Hear the first lines. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are under, not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as a slave of obedience, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either to sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity 
and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For if you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is the challenge. Do not go on living as you are. There is, we have read the much abused verse that we are no longer under law, but under grace. But at the same time, he's saying, live righteously. And in verse 19, he can, again contrasts the form of way of living we were as we were slaves to sin, and now we should be slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. He goes on to talk about our new freedom. Freed from the power of sin, we are now enslaved to God, resulting in sanctification. This is beautifully demonstrated in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 onwards. Or do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's why we talk about these things. Not because we think that their sin is particularly worse than ours. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the feminists, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Such were some of you. Your identity may have been that you were once an adulterer or a coveted or alcoholic or a thief or a fornicator or a homosexual but your identity in Christ is now that you are washed, sanctified, saint. And friends, study the word, the way the word abomination is used in the scriptures. So often I hear people talk about homosexuality as if, uh, well, rightly that it's an abomination, but as if it's like the only thing that's called an abomination in the scripture. Lying lips is an abomination to God. All manner of things, I went through it recently in church, listed all the things, uh, just in Proverbs, just starting Proverbs, all the things that God lists as abomination. Before we start jumping on, we do have to teach on these things. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But so easy to look at someone else's sin and miss the abomination that still resides in your own heart. We are sanctified saints. And this is God's will for us, as 1 Thessalonians says. That are, this is a God's will for you, verse 3. For this is God's will for you, your sanctification, and that you abstain from sexual immorality, and it also mentions other things. This is God's desire for you. Not that you do a bit better. It's transformation. It's a new identi identity, a sanctified child of God. The sixth S of identity in Christ, we're getting near the end. Spirit-filled and spirit-led. I could have made it eight, but seven is better. 
spirit-filled and spirit-led. A few scriptures to consider in this area. Uh, John chapter 14. Jesus praying, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The promise and the desire of the Godhead is that you are filled with the Spirit. This is ordinary Christian living. This is the norm. Otherwise, in a sense, we are orphans. That's what Jesus says. We talk about Jesus coming into our heart. Well, that's not really it. It said Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit come and dwell within us and they make their home with us and that we are filled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, it describes how they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know it well, so I'm not going to read it all. They were all filled. They received the promise that was given here in John. They all received what was promised to them as a child of God. You know what it's like if you make a child, a promise to a child, particularly your own children. You are duty bound to keep that promise. You feel awful if you make a promise that you cannot keep to your child because it questions whether they can trust you. God has promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he's promised it not because he thinks it might be a helpful suggestion for you. You don't have to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but why on earth would you not want to receive that which God desires for you? If God says you need it, guess what? You need it. He knows what we need. The arrogance of the church today that thinks it can function without the power of the Holy Spirit, no wonder we are in such a mess. We've tried to explain them away. It wasn't a one-time event. Read through Acts. Notice all the times that they are filled again with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, they're facing all these threats and persecution and trouble, and then they pray that, that God would extend his hands and to heal signs of wonders that may, may take place. And when they prayed, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Also note Acts chapter 13. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Our identity in Christ is that we should be filled with the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, again, I'm not going to read it because it's well known to us. But in Galatians 5, again, there's this, this battle between the two. Do we walk in the flesh or do we walk in the Spirit? It says, when we walk by the Spirit, but, verse 16, but when I say to you, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are uh, against the desires of the Spirit. And then we get the fruits of the Spirit. We get the fruits of the flesh as well. The contrast between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. We have a choice. 
We can choose not to receive these things. We can choose to explain them away. Or we can stop making excuses and live in the good of what God has promised us as a child of God. Lastly, final S, uh, our identity in Christ is servant. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. This is something that has been uh, talked about in other places. Uh, In other churches, you'll hear people say, we're no longer servants, we're no longer slaves. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, let's see how Paul sees it. 1 Corinthians 13, sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of God is foolishness before God. For this reason is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So that, so then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world, life or death, or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to you. And then he goes on to say, let a man regard us in this manner, that we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And again in Galatians, tells us that we are servants, that we are not trying to please man. Friends, that it hunt like four times before, we're not trying to please man. doesn't matter what people think about you. It matters what God thinks about you. How are you serving the Lord well? Is the way you're responding going to please the people you want it to please, or is it going to please the Lord? And that is always a question you must ask yourself. It's always a question I have to struggle with. Am I trying to do this because I know it will please the people I want to please? Or will give me a better standing with these particular people? So easy to try and seek the favor of men or seek the applause of men. You look at the gospel. Most of the, on the, the New Testament, most of the time they did not receive the applause of men. But we are servants of Christ. And if we serve him faithfully, we will be rewarded eternally. Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, all use this title. We are sons, but we are also servants. We serve him. We serve each other. That is our identity in Christ. It is the very opposite of pride. Humility is our identity. Not a doormat, but a humble servant, ready to do whatever the master asks of us. Time is gone. But the wonder, this is a wonder of our identity in Christ. While these things may not be new to you, how much these are of these identities are a reality in your life? Have you let wrong identities, wrong ideas about yourself taken hold? It doesn't matter what man says of you or how you feel about yourself. What does God say about you? Have you accepted his identity or have you settled for something else? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the wonder of what you've done in Christ. 
Lord, we stand before you as vessels of grace, grace upon grace. None of us have earned it, but Lord, you have uh, lavished it upon us. Lord, we pray as we live in this world where the world wants to offer us so many other things, even in the Christian world, that aren't part of the identity we have in you. Lord, we pray that we would remember what you have for us, what you have freely given to us, that we will value these things far greater than the praise of men, far greater than the things of this world. And Lord, as we stand in the identity and the wonder of the things you've done for us, Lord, may we say something to the world outside, clinging to identities that do not belong to them. Lord, may they see the freedom, the joy, the, the wonder the love, the power of God at work in our lives, that they may long for it and long for that identity. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.